Hold on a second, put down your phone Welcome to the feckin' check-in show We might be playing Tekken in the techno-drome With Shredder and Spencer but never Donatello The boys are back in town again, shenanigans from QO Man, the listener can't stop panicking Now tell your friends to listen to the sound of us Pissing in the wind And if you feel like joining in, then do it for the win the sun shines, but I find myself in isolation But fear not, we've got beer at the cooking station Audio and video flows are coming for you The trainer at Jimmy's show, it's cameras action do The feckin' checkin', so check your feckin' pulses Lentils, soybeans, chickpeas, whatever indulgence Takes your fancy snakes, ladders, or piss politics Just sit back and relax, we've got your weekly fix It's the feckin' checkin' show Welcome to the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show Welcome to the feckin' check-in show It's the feckin' check-in show It's the feckin' check-in show It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do It's camera sack should do all right, Feckamaniacs, this is the Feckin' Check-In, but this is a little prelude into our episode. So I'm Trainer. With me, as always, is my co-host, Toomey. But this week, we have a very special guest. He's probably the world's most prominent speaker on Bitcoin. His name is Andreas Antonopoulos, and we have an interview that we recorded with him, and we're going to go into that very soon. But firstly, for those of you who aren't familiar with Bitcoin, or who don't really understand it, or know what cryptocurrency is, or anything like that, Toomey's just going to give you a brief explanation about that, and then we will launch into our episode as if this piece of audio was never recorded, and as if that was just the start of the episode itself. So, Toomey, let the listener know, what's the story with Bitcoin? What's cryptocurrency? Tell the listener. Hello, listener, and especially the listeners who don't know what Bitcoin is. So from the Bitcoin Wikipedia, Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency. It's a decentralized digital currency without a central bank or a single administrator that can be sent from user to user on the peer-to-peer Bitcoin network without the need for intermediaries. So basically, it's an online digital currency with no government involvement uh, run by the people for the people. All right, Feckamaniacs, welcome to episode 11 of the Feckin' Check-In. I'm Trainer. With me, as always, is my co-host, Toomey. And with us this week is an extremely special guest. So special, in fact, I'm going to pass it over to Toomey to introduce the guest. Toomey, why don't you tell everybody who's with us this week on the Feckin' Check-In? Thanks, Trainer. We're delighted to welcome Mr. Andreas Antonopoulos to the show. He's somebody I admire personally in Bitcoin, somebody who actually explained Bitcoin to me uh, about three or four years ago when I couldn't get my head around it. Um, he's one of the well, most well-known and respected figures in Bitcoin. He's a best-selling author, podcaster, educator, and his YouTube videos about Bitcoin are legendary. Um, so it's really great to have um, Andreas onto the show. So welcome to the show, Andreas. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. Great. Okay. Um, so our show is based around the word feck. Um, have you heard that word before, Andreas? Just to... Oh, of course I have. Yeah, absolutely. Did, did you know that I'm uh, maybe a bit more than a quarter Irish? Ah, so I did so my, 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 my mother's British, my grandfather... Uh, Terence Patrick William Delaney is his name. Does well, that give a, you a bit of a hint? That's I a mean, proper Irish name. <laughs> I, I literally thought they would throw a passport at me just whenever I mentioned his name. Unfortunately, it's a bit trickier than that. Hmm. Um, yeah, and he, uh, he comes from a family in Limerick, which ah. I visited recently, uh, oh, just cool. a couple of years ago for the first time. 
Good stuff. So um, yes, of course, I know what fecken is. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's we. Uh, yeah, we don't have to explain that to you then. But big, uh, big fan of fecken. <laughs> Great, um, and it was popularized in the the uh, Irish sitcom uh, Father Ted. Have you heard of that? Uh huh. Yes, absolutely. Oh. I've watched it. Excellent. <laughs> Great. Okay. So without further ado, I will just introduce the format of the show. So the show is based around the word feck. And so we divide it up into funny observations, entertainment, culture, and kernels of truth. So we have questions for you in those four areas. So I'm going to kick off uh, with the funny observation question. And this is, what is the funniest or most absurd thing about the current financial system and does Bitcoin fix this? Yeah, the, the funniest and most absurd thing about the current financial system is how transparently it helps those who need help the least and refuses to help those who need help. So all of the criteria of the financial system are flipped on their head. Um, let's take it for example, in order to qualify for a loan in the current financial system, you have to prove to a bank that you don't actually need a loan and then they'll be happy to lend you money. In order to, uh, uh, to qualify um, to be an investor, you have to show that you are rich. Um, which in order to become rich, uh, they call it accredited investors, as if having a lot of money gives you some kind of knowledge or skill or proves something other than, you know, most likely you inherited it. Mm. Um, and uh, so in order to become rich, you need to be an investor. But in order to be an accredited investor, you have to already be rich. Um, and it's these absurdities of the system that kind of w what they do is they reveal in a very obvious way, exactly how the system is not accidentally, but entirely deliberately structured to, to favor those who already have all of the wealth, all of the power, and really don't need any more favor. That is very absurd. <laughs> and and how, do, how does Bitcoin fit into that, Andreas? How does Bitcoin kind of uh, offer a solution to those types of absurdities of, of keeping people out? Well, the first thing is, um, in order to keep people out, you have to have a gatekeeping system. You have to have a vetting system where in order to participate, you have to be authorized, vetted, approved by someone. Um, and Bitcoin doesn't have any of that. There's not even a form of identity required. You don't have to sign up for a service. It isn't a service. It isn't a company. There's no one to vet you. All you have to do is run the software. And if you run the software, you are immediately participating in the Bitcoin economy and you have access to and you are subject to the same rules as everybody else. And uh, funnily enough, um, some very, very rich people have tried to throw their weight around, and by weight, I mean their weight in gold, um, and have failed uh, to change the rules in their favor, which I think is a first. You know, in terms of financial systems, the rich changing the rules in their favor is kind of the cornerstone of most financial systems. And in Bitcoin, they failed to do that um, after trying. And it actually cost them quite a fair bit. So that's very amusing. Uh, <laughs> Bitcoin doesn't do um, vetting. Uh, in fact, it, it, to, to participate in Bitcoin, you don't even need to have a pulse. You just need an IP address, which means that um, you can even have uh, machines participating as financial participants in a system. You can have a computer that owns money and controls money directly without uh, representing a human entity. 
a computer can't open a bank account. The computer can't transact cash um, unless it's acting on behalf of a person. But in Bitcoin, it doesn't matter. You can have computer agents that own their own money and can control their own money. Um, but you know that's an extreme case, which really demonstrates the point. But the, the even more important point is that since you can't discriminate between machines and, and humans, you certainly can't discriminate between different humans based on creed, race, ethnicity, nationality, location, um, belief system, age, uh, wealth level, or any other status symbol or yeah. belonging in group uh, symbolism that we often use. And, and that's unique uh, and it's very powerful. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the opposite of the current financial system. I, I think mm -hmm. that's really enjoyed that answer. I'm going to hand it over to, to Trainer to, to introduce the entertainment uh, segment. Yeah, so obviously you've done countless um, appearances, seminars, you've done many, many podcasts, you've released many books, but um, just thinking of the entertainment um, area, have you ever considered releasing like um, a documentary or a documentary series or even maybe an autobiographical film? you know, obviously about your own life, you, you quit your job in tech, you dedicated your, your life solely to Bitcoin. Have you ever considered doing something like that to get the message of Bitcoin across to the masses? Or has that ever crossed your mind? Um, I, I've participated in, in half a dozen documentaries where I've been interviewed. Uh, and uh, at some point I was told by someone that I have an IMDB um, account because I've been credited in a, in, in a film Okay. Um, and, and as a result, they've, they have me listed as an actor. Um, and <laughs> playing yourself. This, playing myself, yes. And it says, the, the credit actually says, Andreas Antonopoulos, and in brackets, self. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I meant more so something focused on your own life, though, and your yeah, own message. You see, the thing is, I have a very, very, very public persona, um, which is me. I don't, I don't like dress it up. I'm very direct about who I am and what I want to do. And, and I have a very high public profile because of the videos and my social media presence, which I have to do to, to succeed in my mission, which is mm. to educate people about Bitcoin and open blockchain. But, but my mission is to educate people about Bitcoin, about open blockchains. It's not, it's not to promote myself. And, and quite honestly, I, I have this kind of weird, um, weird relationship with, with publicity because I, as you probably know, I'm also a privacy advocate. Um, mm. And I practice that in my life. I'm incredibly private. Uh, I don't want people to know anything about where I am, what I do, who I'm related to, who I associate with, none of that. I'm very, very private. So I have to balance this kind of very public presence because I'm doing an educational mission that is global um, with a very private personality where I don't really like talking about myself. So I want to shift the focus to Bitcoin okay. and, and away from myself. So no autobiography, although at some point more of a memoir um, might be in the, in, the, in, the, in the works, which is the idea of just writing about what I saw and, and what I experienced. Not, the focus not on me, but on kind of the journey. Of, yeah. Because it really is crazy. It is, it is telenovela levels of crazy. The stuff that has happened in Bitcoin over the past eight years that I've been involved, 
you know, the only thing we're missing is evil twins who come back from the grave to steal the fortune. Uh, and we've almost had that too. But okay. <laughs> we won't name them. <laughs> let, let me put a slightly other spin on it then. Let's, let's say, have you ever considered maybe creating like a documentary series which will get the message across to the masses of, of what you think about Bitcoin? Thinking of the ways people consume media now, it's, it's a lot of streaming services, things like mm. Netflix, uh, binge watching something like maybe, maybe like a, something like a six part documentary series, which consolidates all of your uh, points that you would discuss in seminars, which consolidates good, your good pitch training <laughs> your, your, your yeah, yeah. points in, in videos, that, that, something <laughs> like that. I just, I'm trying to think of like maybe appealing to the mass audience, um, and how to get the message across to people or how to communicate with the mass audience. Yeah, I'm, I'm open to all kinds of ideas, of course, um, more ideas than time to execute. Um, but what I've tried to do so far is, is deliver the educational information that I work on in the forms of both philosophical talks and um, technical talks. So partly for a general audience that wants to understand why this stuff matters in terms of philosophy and for a technical audience like college level computer science books and uh, talks. And I tried to deliver those in every possible format, uh, long videos, short videos, books, audio books, blog posts, tweets, and, and just kind of saturate all possible ways so that people who have, um, you know, what I call learning modalities, right? Different learning. Some people learn kinesthetically by, by watching something being demonstrated. Some people are more uh, about listening as we're doing here. Some people need to apply things. So I'm doing workshops and seminars. I'm trying to address all possible educational modalities to reach as many people as possible and in as many languages as possible. But um, a documentary series, I don't know. I haven't tried that yet. Uh, although the most fun I, one I participated in was uh, Inside Man, uh, which is from the director and producer who did um, Super Size Me, the 30-day oh. experience of eating only McDonald's. I don't Morgan know Spurlock. More like Morgan Spurlock. Oh, yeah. And he did a CNN uh, show called Inside Man where he spent 30 days living in a particular subculture, you know, with the Amish, with, uh, uh, you know, gay pride organizers with um cattle ranchers and one of them was with bitcoin people okay uh, that that was a lot of fun i think that was a very approachable way of doing it but i'll, I'll leave the documentaries to the people who are actually talented and able to do those fair enough okay that's grand okay so so moving on then with the feck and check and so our next point to cover off is culture so obviously bitcoin has a uh, huge implications on culture um and obviously the more it grows the, the wider those implications become but thinking about cash culture now or, or just currency we're moving towards a cashless society and i was wondering how do you think uh, bitcoin fits into that so where does bitcoin come in like does bitcoin kind of take over from where cash kind of dies out or is there is there some kind of connection between the movement away from cash and the movement towards cryptocurrencies yeah, this is a really difficult subject because I think when when people first come across Bitcoin, they see it as, okay, in the past we had analog money, uh, which is cash, and now we will have digital money, which is Bitcoin. So they see that as a transition, and, and that's not the transition. As you pointed out, we're moving towards a cashless society, and the competition to Bitcoin is comes from two other places. So we have government money, which is... Um, 
already 92% of, of money that we experience, you know, pound sterling, um, uh, Irish pounds, whatever, are all digital, 92% digital, only 8% of it actually exists in cash. It's usually databases and banks. Uh, so government money is already digital, but it's going to go digital 100% to the point where cash will be eventually eradicated, I think. Um, and there's a very deliberate effort to do that by trying to tie cash to nefarious activities and illegal activities and make it seem mm. dangerous and bad. Um, this is a very dangerous thing. Uh, the dangerous thing isn't cash. The dangerous thing is creating a system where all money flows through centralized computers that are controlled by a government that are um, effectively uh, completely under surveillance and continuous surveillance and um, a form of money that, um, that allows uh, a government to essentially turn you off anytime they want which you know most people don't fear in, in the developed world because they, they they think of governments as kind of a benevolent provider of services but you know you're as we've seen recent recently but throughout history you're one bad election away from electing someone who decides not to leave uh, and then to use the entire mechanism of state power to ensure that no election happens again or if elections do happen there are jokes check out Putin or Erdogan in Turkey or, you know, um, Germany in the 30s, of course, and, and, and so many, so, so many examples um, throughout history and throughout every nation. No nation is immune to that. Cash provides a fundamental service of an anonymous bearer instrument, transferable peer-to-peer -peer direct mechanism of value transfer that is not under surveillance and can not be controlled or eradicated. Um, if we take that away, uh, a lot of very fundamental freedoms uh, and democratic institutions become very, very uh, fragile. That's one aspect. The other aspect that's fairly new is, of course, that now we're talking about corporate digital money uh, in the form of the money from Facebook or other organizations like that. They launched a project called Libra. Um, that's, I, I, I don't know. I mean, that's even worse because now we're talking about a kind of feudal, um, corporate merger. It's like we're revising the VOC or the East India, uh, company to colonize the world, to issue their own <laughs> scripts and armies. And, uh, it's a digital version of colonial feudalism. Um, and that's incredibly dangerous too. And then there's money of the people. So effectively, we've got money of the state, money of the corporations, and money of the people. All three are going digital, uh, and cash is disappearing. And money of the people, which is a system that is internet-based, open to everyone, without requirements for participation, um, and which is controlled by rules that are the same for everyone and not by a central organization, what that becomes effectively, it's not what replaces cash. It's almost the lifeboat that you have to have just in case the other two forms turn to shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, we need to save our democracy. Facebook and the Irish government have turned into these fascist organizations. You know, help us. And, and that's when you turn to Bitcoin. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe that doesn't seem realistic for Ireland or the United States today, 
Um, I, I can assure you, it didn't seem realistic in 1925 to, to Germans or in uh, or to the Spanish people under Franco. But um, it is already realistic for the people of Turkey, the Philippines, Venezuela, um, you know, and countless other places, Lebanon now, where through either incompetence or malice, their governments and their banks have become this kind of totalitarian nightmare. And for them then, uh, digital money that they can control that is free and open uh, becomes an escape hatch. It becomes a lifeboat. It becomes a refugee mechanism. It becomes a mechanism for political organization. Now, that shouldn't be the only reason why we need digital cash of the people, uh, but it certainly is a very good reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that makes me think about my friends when I tell them about Bitcoin and I talk about to, to people about being under surveillance with their um, payments and transactions. A lot of like the average Joe in Ireland uh, doesn't seem to care too much about that. But but maybe there's, there's specific settings and countries in the world where where that actually is sometimes a matter of life or death. Um, I, I'm I'm surprised though because you know Ireland has a, a recent history uh, of sectarianism that that should inform these things. You know, it's it's very easy to see how your government can become um, you know a colonial occupier that decides that your particular creed or faith isn't the right one, um, and you can imagine that entire scenario in an environment where cash doesn't exist and where the government can simply erase your financial existence and make it so that you can't even buy food for your children and you can't have it reviewed by a court because they just turned you off in a private institution that isn't subject to any kind of civil rights. Uh, imagine the, the things that happened in the 70s um, happening in, in, in the 2030s, mm -hmm. only this time all money is centrally controlled and uh, a single change in a database erases your entire financial uh, existence. So it's you mentioned like, you mentioned Turkey <laughs> and Venezuela. Yeah. Where like the currency is probably quite weak at the moment. Um, didn't China try and ban Bitcoin a number of times over and over again? Like does the government not have some control over the availability of Bitcoin in their country? Yeah, operative word is try. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'll start getting worried when a country manages to succeed. You see, the thing is, if you understand how Bitcoin works, one of the fascinating things about it is that what it does is it converts money into a form of data that can be transmitted by any means that data can be transmitted. And, and most people think, okay, you need a fast internet connection, but that's not actually true. You could transmit Bitcoin over text message. You could transmit it inside the uh, emojis of a Skype message. You could uh, post it as um, um, a series of English words in a classified ads on an independent website. You could transmit it over radio. You could, um, you could use USB sticks. Uh, so... Um, as long as the network runs somewhere, your mm. ability to actually use Bitcoin is, is almost impossible to stop because what the government needs to do is prohibit the transmission of information. They need to have the means to stop you from speaking, writing, shouting, graffiti spraying, transmitting, recording 12 English words. I How you. the hell do they do that? So, so 
it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's essentially impossible to outlaw is what you're saying, basically. It's essentially impossible to outlaw. You can disrupt the existing network, in which case it, it, it will evolve to a less disruptable network. But the underlying idea is math and the, um, and the basic expression of it uh, is money as a pure system of information that can be transmitted directly from person to person without any central actor. And, and, and that's unstoppable. That's the whole point. Excellent. Okay. All right. I'm going to throw it back to Toomey here. We're going to finish off with our feckin' check-in points with a kernel of truth. So Toomey, do you have something you want to uh, put to Andreas as a kernel of truth regarding Bitcoin? Yeah, the kernels of truth. And it goes back to uh, my own experiences in, in late 2017 when I was talking to all my friends about Bitcoin and there was the, the Bitcoin bubble and people would say to me, yeah, that Bitcoin's okay, but Ethereum's the next Bitcoin or Ripple is the next Bitcoin or something else is the new Bitcoin. And I was just thinking to back to one of your, your talks um, on the Unscripted podcast where you said that uh, Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. Um, so, so what did you mean by that? Would you mind uh, elaborating on, on what you meant by that? So when I said Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin, uh, let me first start with what I didn't mean. What I didn't mean is that Bitcoin exists to the exclusion of any competition um, and nothing else can do anything else in the space. Because at the same talk that I said Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin, I also said Ethereum is the next Ethereum. Because as soon as Ethereum became successful, a bunch of other things showed up and be like, we're the next Ethereum. You know, that happens to every, every system that's in a leading position immediately gets kind of these copycat contenders, uh, wannabes. Um, but the bottom line is the reason Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin and Ethereum is the next Ethereum and Ripple is the next Ripple is because each one of them have differentiated themselves into or adapted into a niche. Um, you got to think of markets and societies as these um, environments, uh, petri dishes, uh, evolutionary um, systems of competition, where ideas uh, and practical systems like Bitcoin um, appeal to certain people. And they also have certain clear-cut applications and uses that then um, really determine which types of people they're going to appeal to. So Bitcoin has certain characteristics. It's robust against nation state interference. It's uncensorable, it's distributed. Um, and uh, it is um, very, very conservative and robust uh, in its security. And that makes it very good for certain use cases, but it also makes it not so good for other use cases. And other things like Ethereum come along and say, well, we're going to try something that's much more flexible and expressive. But when you make a choice like that, you lose something, right? These are trade-offs. Um, and, and in these trade-offs, uh, Ethereum, for example, is, is less robust against censorship, but is much more expressive for different types of applications. And that appeals to a different environment. So I think of this in terms of evolutionary uh, development, meaning that... Um, the lion, the shark, and the ant are all apex uh, species within their own environment. And uh, comparing them and saying, oh, listen, sharks are going to take over from lions. Well, no, they're not. Because, <laughs> uh, because the, the fundamental things that make them so good at what they do in their own environment make them completely useless, floppy appetizers for lions in, in the savannah. 
and 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 lions aren't going to take over the forest from ants. They they mm-hmm. they live in different domains. Very good. So, the reason why the next Bitcoin is Bitcoin is because in the domain that Bitcoin specializes, it has already dominated that application space and it's good enough and early enough that um, there really isn't much of a foothold for a competitor to come and show up. Um, and that doesn't mean to the exclusion of other things. It just means that specialization has already happened. Okay, that, that's great. I feel like this podcast has been uh, a greatest hits uh, tour of all the great points you've made in, in, in different talks and areas. So I've, I've really enjoyed Thank it. Thank you so it. much. <laughs> Thank you. And this is a bit of a, a, a weird question to, to end. And we, we added this in the email to, <laughs> to your assistant at the end. But would you like to choose a song of the week, a song you've been listening to recently or a song that that means something to you, maybe really related to Bitcoin, and we can maybe play out on that one. Well, it's it's not going to be a song of the week. It's not going to be something recent, but it's something that goes back to my childhood, and that's going to be Blue Monday by New Order. A well, classic hey. hit of the <laughs> late 80s, early 90s, if you know what I mean. Good stuff. Thanks very much. Uh, Have you ever you heard so of much. that song? Yeah, of I course. Haven't. How <laughs> does it feel? And treat me like you do. Yeah, and that <laughs> intro beat on the instrumental version was the jingle that I used in my first ever business at 15 years old, a pirate radio station in Athens um, that I built with my friends. And we used that as our intro jingle for a song every night when we went on the air. And it has a special place in my heart. That's cool. Do you mind if we add that bit in at the end? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll include it Okay. It's been a total pleasure. Well, thank you so much. We, we you. so much enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Andreas. Have a great day. Have a great weekend too. Cool. Bye bye. Take care. All bye-bye. right. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. Bye bye.